From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a happy Monday to each and every one of you. And Father John, it's been a while since we've been together live in the studio on a Monday. Uh, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and you you look, as our viewers that are watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you look like you're about to walk into the Holy of Holies there with the... Uh... <laughs> Make sure they put... Yeah, I'm, at a, I'm, I'm at a friend's house today. We're going to put a bell on you and tie a rope around your neck, your, or your ankle, so... Yes. <laughs> but it is EWTN's Open Line Monday. Father John Tregilio is in the house. Well, he's in somebody's house. And uh, if you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com, or you can text your question to Father John. Text the letters EWTN to 55000, wait for a response, text your first name and your question message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, the new yearly shorn Michael McCall producing the program. <laughs> your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, our call screen uh, our uh, social media maven so if you're watching us on youtube or facebook live you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program and our host as he is every monday the aforementioned father john tregilio how are you aforementioned yes what's the uh temperature where you are currently located uh 75 outside outside yes wow okay I, i'm my my disdain for you grows um, <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm in San Diego, but uh, I'm doing a spiritual conference. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so we uh, we had some twenties here in Birmingham the last uh, few days, and it's fifty today, but it's windy. So, oh wow! There, I'm done complaining. Um, if you'd like to be part of the program, a couple of open lines at eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Paul would like to know why should I become Catholic. Are there more quote-unquote benefits than in just being a born-again Christian? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, being a born-again Christian is, is a good thing, so we don't want you to think it's either-or, but as uh, Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict always would say, is both and. You, we, we have the fullness of grace. We have all seven sacraments as opposed to only two, and we have the fullness of truth since we have both um, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. And even in sacred scripture, we have uh, seven more books in the Old Testament than in, than in the uh, Protestant Bible. So becoming a Catholic Christian is the fullness of Christianity, being a born-again Christian. You, you're already in the right direction, and because uh, obviously we both believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Savior of, of the world. But uh, being a Catholic Christian 
this is what our Lord intended. Uh, this is what how the church began, and uh, it's to your advantage. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Jane says, how do I explain to my Protestant friends why we ask for Mary's intercession instead of going straight to God? Well, we can go straight to God, and that applies not only in terms of, of Mary uh, and the saints, but also people here on earth. But imagine if you were going to get uh, say your appendix out or some kind of surgery and you would say to someone could you pray for me tomorrow i'm having surgery and the person says no you go to directly to god you don't need my prayers well that'd be a true statement but it would certainly be kind of rude and crass and not really christian and so intercession in no way shape or form affects the sole mediation of jesus christ he's the one mediator between god and man because he's both human and divine but mary's intercession is like the intercession that we do here on earth. It's like the intercession of the saints in heaven. We are going to the one mediator on behalf of someone else. And, you know, it's done in the gospel. Uh, when Jairus goes to Jesus on behalf of his daughter, Jesus doesn't say, have your daughter come to me directly. She doesn't need you. He didn't say that. Uh, so if he didn't say that in that occasion, he's not going to say it in any other occasion. So we go to Mary for her intercession. So she goes to Jesus just as you and I would intercede for each other here on earth. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. David wants to know why it is that Catholics are not allowed to marry unless they intend to have children. Uh, they must be at least open to the possibility of children because that is one of the two uh, we call ends of marriage, uh, love and life or um, procreation and also unity. Um, this is defined well in Humani Vitae that Pope Paul VI wrote, that wonderful encyclical letter in, in the 60s. Uh, St. Augustine brings out that the, the essential elements of a valid marriage, besides being a, bapt, uh, a baptized male and a baptized female, is that the couple, both of them, must intend to enter a permanent, a faithful, and God willing, a fruitful union. So for a husband and, and, and wife to intentionally withhold and not want children at all prevents the sacrament of uh, matrimony from occurring. And that's been uh, the church's um, teaching from, from day one. Again, we've got some open phone lines and just getting started here on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line, 833-288-EWTN. That's your ticket to the program, 833-288-3986. Nathan asks, when the chief priests and Pilate asked Jesus if he was the Son of God, he said, you say that I am. Why did he respond this way when they were asking him a direct question? It is sort of a rhetorical response. It's not that Jesus is certainly he's not denying that because he, he knows who he is. He is the Son of God. Um, and in the old English translation, which which I like with this particular quote, uh, it has Jesus saying, thou hast said it. You say, you say so. Um, he's affirming the fact that they're asking the question. And remember, uh, Jesus uh, was um, a Jew, 
And this is part of the rabbinical tradition that, you know, they taught the faith uh, in the same way, similar that the Greek uh, philosophers using the Socratic method was question and answers. And the rabbis asked questions they already knew the answers to, but to their students, they may not have known the answer. So Jesus always poses these questions that he knows the answers to because he wants to elicit from them uh, what the real answer is. And It's 75 degrees in San Diego, but somehow Father John has frozen. So we will effort to get him back at this point. If you'd like to still be part of the program, there's all kinds of time. We've got most of the hour left at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love a phone call from you today. In fact, if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line. At one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and uh, again that's one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You're the only priest on earth that could become frozen in seventy five degrees <laughs> San Diego. Uh, you you were you were saying, Father. <laughs> I don't know where I got where I was left off at. <laughs> I think you were about to wrap it up, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, um, I I forgot the whole question at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've I've crossed it off. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was the you say that I am. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just a part of the rabbinical tradition that you know you ask questions, you already know the answers to, so that the the disciple, the student can then say, oh, yeah, now I get it. It's like what we were, how we were taught in grade school. You know, you ask questions, and he poses it, not that he's confused or he doesn't know, but he wants the people saying, now, obviously, Pontius Pilate has no faith, so he's not going to affirm, but yet he does ask, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the son of God? Uh, like when Caiaphas asked that question. So uh, it, it's not an issue of Jesus's lack of knowledge. It's more of eliciting faith from the people who should know better. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Andy in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, Christiana in St. Charles, Missouri, Joan in Ringwood, New Jersey, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line. The number's 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Join a deeper conversation about the most consequential issues facing Catholics today on EWTN News In-Depth with Monsi Alvarado. And you can get EWTN News In-Depth delivered to your email box with details on every week's show 
Just go to EWTN.com slash in-depth and sign up today. That's EWTN News In-Depth with Monsi Alvarado. You can also watch that on EWTN television and listen to it on EWTN Radio Fridays at 8 Eastern Time. Uh, To the phones we go, leading off the uh, lineup today is Andy in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Andy, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Father, I uh, am concerned I have an adult son that left the church uh, some years ago, and he's very active in the non-denominational church, which he's uh, one of the leaders of. He's called the president. He's also an elder. He's very uh, religious. He's a very strict Bible person, and he believes everything in the Bible but nothing at all. And uh, the thing that bothers me is that he turned his back on the Eucharist, and he Mm -hmm. actually said something recently It kind of made fun of it. And I thought uh, if he turns, somebody turns the back on the Eucharist, uh, I worry about uh, their salvation. I mean, I, I, uh, I just w- worry about him. Um, you know, whether he'll go to heaven because his uh, complete rejection of the Eucharist. Yes, um, certainly. I would, I would encourage and urge you to pray for him every day. Um, you may not be that. You may not be able to persuade him because, as Jesus Himself said. A prophet's not without honor except where in his own house. And so many times um, we are so close to to our loved ones that we won't be as effective. And so don't get discouraged if he doesn't listen to your your arguments or whatever encouragements you might have. Certainly pray for him. Um, I would say we have to also remember that uh, we are culpable uh, for those things that we, we do deliberately with full knowledge. And if somebody was told false information and they erroneously believe it, then they're not as culpable because they're operating on on a false premise. So if your son um, erroneously believes that the Eucharist is not real, uh, but he's believing that based on this false premise uh, because he believes in sola scriptura and, you know, he's being told something by these religious leaders, uh, his status in terms of his salvation uh, only the good lord would know but I, it's not you know right off the bat say oh he, he's he's damned himself but unfortunately you know that's a possibility i would just you know always pray for him um and if he never asks you you know opens the door for a discussion or a conversation and you know start with him with the scripture and say well uh, if you believe in everything that scripture says then what about in John chapter six, you know, where Jesus says, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. My flesh is real food. My my blood is real drink. And then at the Last Supper in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, where he says, takes the bread and wine. This is my body. This is my blood. Now, just quoting those passages alone won't necessarily be enough, but you might open up the door, so to speak. But again, uh, your prayers are going to be the most important. And maybe when you go visit him sometime and he's not looking, put a copy like of, 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 of my book, Catholicism for Dummies, leave it like laying in the bathroom somewhere where he might just stumble upon it as opposed to just openly giving it to him. And maybe when he's no one's watching him, he might actually open up and read it. And you'd be surprised how sometimes when people, you know, are not don't realize someone's has done that intentionally, uh, he, it might get the, the, the wheels spinning in his head, so to speak. But um, I'm glad you're concerned. I would not uh, say it's a foregone c- uh, conclusion, 
So we want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he may be operating what we call invincible ignorance. But certainly pray for him. And if and when he opens the door by asking you some questions or he's a docile to some discussion, then, you know, by all means. And then, you know, we have things available uh, online at EWTN. And, you know, there's wonderful tracks and brochures that would also be helpful. But if you just hand it to him directly, he might just throw it away. So you might want to be, you know, use a little subterfuge, so to speak, and leave things laying around where he might find them. God bless you, Andy. You've done a great thing, too, because a lot of our listeners are going to be praying for you and your son as well. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. There's a line open for you right now at 833-288-3986. Christiana is in St. Charles, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Christiana, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hello, Father. Um, so, um, right now, uh, I have temporary guardianship of my 12-year-old brother. Um, my mother is in the hospital with COVID. She's on the ICU. Um, my brother has been dealing with like demonic attacks, he said, for some time now. Um, my mother has tried to talk to her Christian pastor about it before, and they basically just threw it off. Um, you know, uh, last night he told me he was experiencing one of these, what he calls attacks, and I... I prayed for him. I I laid my hands on him and I prayed for him. I, that's what I grew up learning to do. Um, and he said he felt better, but this is I, I'm in way over my head. This is not something I'm qualified. I want to know if there's someone that can help me to know if it is a demonic attack. Does he need an exorcism or is it mental health? Um, is there someone in the Catholic Church that comes out to to kind of see before the people do exorcisms, you know? Yeah. How do I contact them? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you asked, and I'm certainly going to keep you and your, your brother in my prayers. Uh, every diocese uh, in the United States, in fact, around the world, uh, the bishop has assigned an official exorcist, and uh, he's... He's been given authority and jurisdiction by the bishop to do an exorcism. But before he even does that, he has to exhaust every other possibility. But he would be your point person because we, you know, we have one in my diocese of Harrisburg. So whatever diocese you're in, contact the diocese and say you would like to speak to the, the, to the priest who's the official exorcist. And uh, he will look into it. And it may not be a diabolical possession where there's a demon in him. It may be obsession where there's a demon outside who's afflicted him. It may be some kind of diabolical oppression. Uh, and sometimes it may be just, it may be a mental issue, but uh, he's the one that I would talk to first. And then uh, he might have some other suggestions. Um, but before an official exorcism would ever take place, they would have to exhaust every other possibility of this being physiological, psychological, emotional, and only when none of those things, uh, you know, answer all the questions, and then with the bishop's explicit permission, uh, would the priest proceed. But 
it's it's almost like you know when there's something wrong with your car most of us are not are, are not experts to know oh it's something easy it's it's the spark plug or carburetor or something more uh you know involved like the computer panel or something like that you take it to the mechanic and you know the, this priest is sort of like the the spiritual mechanic for that particular area uh oppression by by uh by evil spirits and it may not be that but i would certainly talk to him first and also um you know saying prayers to uh, saint michael using holy water uh those are what are wonderful um remedies to do right now but also contact that priest uh, by contacting your diocese uh thank you very much christiana so if you can just get a hold of the archdiocese of st louis and uh, I'm sure that they can steer you down the right path. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls. Next up is Judy in San Diego, California, of all places, right there in your neck of the woods today. Father John watching us on YouTube. Judy, you're on with Father Tregilio. Good afternoon, Father John. It's so nice to be able to talk with you. Um, <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> good. I have a, a question for you. Um, I'll put it in two different ways. I don't know which is the better way to uh, state the question. What are the pros and cons of the traditional Latin Mass? Or maybe I could say it this way, you know, why do people like the traditional Latin Mass? And maybe what are some of the objections? Are you able to speak on this? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and it's an excellent question. Um, you know, you, you and I have all different preferences, and there's legitimate uh, expressions in the church. We have, you know, as many popes talk about them, both lungs, east and west. So we have Latin Rite Catholics. We have Eastern Rite Catholics. We have people who are uh, of the Byzantine Catholic Church. We have Melkites, Maronites, Ruthenians, Ukrainians. And then in the Latin Rite, we have extraordinary form, an ordinary form. And so uh, if somebody prefers going to the ordinary form, which is sometimes called the Novus Ordo, it's typically in the vernacular, but also can be done in, in the Latin. And then you've got the extraordinary form, which is sometimes called the, the Trintine uh, Latin Mass. Um, these are all legitimate. Now, Pope Francis has you know, restricted uh, the extraordinary form. Um, Pope Benedict had restored it to uh, the, it's, it's, it's proper level, but, um, it's still valid. It's still listed. It's just that the priests who, uh, celebrate are under more uh, restrictions, but it is, it's not, uh, ever, uh, considered invalid. Uh, it's just been curtailed in exactly where it can be done and how it can be done. But as a faith member of the faithful, you could, wherever it's legitimately and, uh, licitly celebrated, you have every right to go to that. Uh, just like you could go to the Byzantine Church and receive Holy Communion and consider that your Sunday obligation. Likewise, you could go to the Old Latin Mass, the New Latin Mass, uh, Vernacular English Mass. You have all these legitimate options. The more restrictions, I would say, are for the clergy. You know, what priest can do this, when and uh, at what place. But as a layperson, you could go wherever it's legitimately offered and no one, no one need question you why you're there. Uh, and, and that's a matter of, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said, de gustibus non dispuntandum est, uh, of matters of opinion and taste, there's no argument. Uh, so I always say to the faithful, you go where you feel you're, you're being spiritually fed and nourished, and uh, that might mean 
looking a little bit more uh, assiduously these days because, like I said, there's more restrictions on that than there were more recently. But uh, I would say, you know, you do what you feel because Holy Mother Church offers it. You're allowed to take part in it. Fair to say, Father John, that the most important thing is that anyone who has a taste for a legitimate liturgy, other than the one we have the taste for, is to not cast aspersions on those folks, huh? Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. Thanks, Judy. We appreciate the call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You know, Father Trujillo, it looks like you're uh, it looks like you're exemplifying the ultimate choice in life here. You've got a, a door over each shoulder as if uh, <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Back to the phones we go. Ruth is in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts watching us on YouTube. Ruth, welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you today? Well, my question is for Father. Um, regarding um, baptism uh, in a different, um, from a different perspective, years ago when my children were little in the 60s and so forth, um, there was a teaching of the Church, or at least it was understood to be a teaching of the Church, that if there was any possibility of a child not being baptized, that a family member could do that, or someone who was close to the situation. And I did that with my children, because one of my children moved away out of state and no connection with the Church at all. But when they visited, I, myself, in the kitchen sink, uh, with protocol, with the fact that I was doing God's will, not casually, that there was a witness with me, and I just said, if this child is not baptized, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that I felt content with that, and I did that with two or three other grandchildren, because there was no possibility, and there still isn't of those children being baptized. Now my question to Father is, these children being in their 20s, and now probably reaching out to get married, do this or that or something like that, there's no record of my doing that in the Church. And um, I just wonder what the, what would be the position of the Church if one of these decided to be returned to his faith or go practice the faith at all, and you know, would have no record of being baptized. Okay, well, that, that, that's an excellent question. I can understand uh, your motivation, which is certainly it was very uh, good intentioned. Um, the, the church teaches and canon law makes it clear that um, the normal, ordinary minister of baptism is the priest or bishop or deacon, uh, a lay person, anybody, okay, even if they're not Christian or Catholic, uh, can be the minister of baptism uh, in danger of death. Um, now, obviously, you know, if the, if your grandchild was not in danger of death, uh, you were not the legitimate minister, but it was a valid baptism. Uh, that means that each grandchild that, that you baptized was in fact baptized, but they were baptized as a Catholic Christian. Therefore, 
uh, if they don't get married according to the canonical form of being married by a priest or deacon in the Catholic uh, ceremony, then it would not be a valid marriage for them. That's why you need you you I urge you to let each grandchild that you baptize know that you baptize them and why you did it. You did it out of love for them because you know you're their grandmother, and if they decide never to uh, become Catholic or practice their faith. Uh, that that's their decision. But if one of them decides to get married in the Catholic Church, then they need to establish the fact that they were baptized so they could show that to the priest or deacon when they get married. Or one of them wants to become a priest, uh, you know, if, if one of your grandsons that you baptized, you know, uh, wants to become a priest, he has to have proof of his baptism. So what will happen is, if no one else witnessed this, then they will need to do a conditional baptism so they can have a record of it. So uh, I applaud you for, for your desire, but because it wasn't danger of death, um, and there's implications because now every time you baptize one of them, they're, they're considered Catholic in the eyes of the church until the day they die. They, you know, that's the, the, the way the church uh, sees them from that perspective, even if they don't see it themselves. But I would you know share that information with them in a, in a very loving, charitable way and say, I did it because I love you, you know? And what they do with it is their decision, but they certainly couldn't fault you because you did it out of love and concern for them. But there are implications. So I think you, you do need out of justice uh, to uh, explain that to them. And Father John, how would she handle the situation if one of them wanted to pursue a sacramental life and needed proof of their baptism? Yeah, the only way that you could do without re, uh, having what we call conditional baptism, you have to have two affidavits. So obviously she could sign an affidavit that she did it because she was there, but there's not a second one. So in, in, in absence of two affidavits, then the church would need to do a conditional baptism that says, I baptize you if you're not baptized, and then they would have an official record of it. So it's we never, never, never re-baptize, but we do a conditional baptism where there's a doubt of fact or a doubt of record. Is that helpful for you, Ruth? Yes, there's just one further question, a quick one. Father, um, there, each baptism I did, there was an adult with me who witnessed it. And, uh, the okay. intention was for him. The intention okay. was for him to witness it. Okay, well then, uh, in most dioceses, if not all, would accept an affidavit from you and that other person as a witness. Uh, they still might, just to keep things... On the, especially if the guy's going to be ordained a priest, they might still do a conditional baptism, but that's not a reflection on you at all. But uh, before that other person leaves this earth, you know, I would certainly uh, let the grandchildren know so they could have then you and that other person sign those affidavits. So they could have them in their hands uh, as soon as possible. God bless you. Thanks, Ruth. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Tom is in Huron Township, Michigan, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Tom, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father John. Hello. I have a question. I have a question about the Society of St. Pius the Tenth. Latin Masses. There's a church locally that does Latin Masses, and they're of the Society of uh, St. Pius X. Is that, am I legally going to Mass when I go there? Well, uh, they're, they're not in complete, um, uh, I won't say they're not in complete union. Uh, they're not 
regular in the sense, like the Fraternity of St. Peter is completely in union with, with Rome. They're fully recognized uh, as a part of the Roman Catholic Church. The uh, Pius, Society of St. Pius X and Society of Pius V are two uh, groups that celebrate the Trinitine Latin Mass, or what we would call the extraordinary form. And they're valid, okay, they're valid Masses. Um, you can go if if you're not if it's impossible for you to get to um, a Latin Rite Mass of that's in full communion, uh, and it's not possible because they're just too far apart, or whatever the, that that you know there's a moral or physical means that prevents you from going. But normally speaking, you should go uh, to your either your local parish or to a Catholic parish, whether it's Byzantine, Eastern, or Western Rite. That's in full communion. Now, I know Pope uh, Francis at one point, uh, I think during the year of mercy, extended uh, a recognition of the faculties for Pius X society for their confessions and for their their, their uh, the weddings that they celebrated. I don't know if that's still in force. You would have to check with your local diocese. But uh, it's certainly it, it's a valid mass, just like it's a valid mass if you go to the Russian or Greek Orthodox. Uh, you can only go for your Sunday obligation if it's impossible for you to get to the church that's, you know, that's in full communion uh, with Rome. Thanks, Tom. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines and still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is James in the great state of North Carolina, listening at EWTN.com. James, you're on with Father Trujillo. Uh, good afternoon, Father Don. Uh, my, my question is, uh, my daughter-in-law and has been hostile towards the Catholic Church. My wife and I have recently converted, along with my youngest son, who's uh, an adult. And she has been asking questions, being curious about the Catholic Church and Catholic faith. And so my question is, how do we um, bring her closer and into the Church without pushing her away? And we have a granddaughter mm -hmm. that um, I feel would... Con uh, would um, uh, complicate things in the future trying to discuss religion with my granddaughter. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I your situation isn't uh, totally unique because I've seen that a lot of cases where people either convert, um, come into full communion with, and I like that term better. Instead of saying convert, uh, with, with the phrase we use now is come into full communion because as a, as a Protestant Christian, you know, you have partial unity with, with the Catholic Church because we recognize the, the baptism. We certainly share a belief in the Trinity and the divinity of Christ. But now you brought into full communion because so now you've got the fullness of truth, the fullness of grace, all the sacraments, and as well as the fullness of divine revelation. Um, again, you know, it's not that I'm plugging my own book here, but any book that explains the faith, uh, like our Catholicism for Dummies or anything of that nature that's apologetic, um, if they ask, you can hand it to them. But if they don't ask, leave it laying around somewhere in their home so they may stumble upon it, and then it might get the little wheel spinning. But if you try to proselytize and uh, to convert them uh, overtly, it may not work. You have to do it subtly, okay? And if they see in you the difference becoming a Catholic has been that it's changed you a little bit, made you a better person, uh, a more loving Christian, um, you know, that, you know, you truly turn the other cheek, you go the extra mile, uh, your Catholic devotions help you 
uh, you know, have a more intimate relationship with God. If they see that, you know, they say the proof is in the pudding. So that's one thing to have your life be a witness and testimony. But also, if they ever verbally ask you, then you can that that opens the door, so you can have conversation. You can say to them, you know, well, you know, watch EWTN or listen to uh, EWTN or here's some books I can recommend to you. So you don't want to put them on the spot and say, you know, you have to follow us and convert, uh, but you welcome them by making it appealing to them. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Joan is in Ringwood, New Jersey, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joan, welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for um, you today? Okay. Uh, my question is, um, in the Bible, Jesus says at some point, um, do not believe anybody that comes after me. And I'm thinking, you know, Mohammed came, I think, 500 years after Jesus. And how do we justify, or how do people justify becoming Muslim and believing in Mohammed um, because he came so far after Jesus? And how does the Church look at, at look at that? Okay, well, I, I, you, know, you, you bring up a legitimate point that uh, Jesus is the fullness of revelation. Um he is the because he's the son, the eternal son. He's the second person of the Trinity, and you know while we have great respect uh, for our Jewish brethren, okay, because you know we're considered fellow children of Abraham uh, in the Jewish tradition, okay, Abraham is regarded as a very, very important person, a holy man. So is Moses, but to this day, no, 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 no one of the Hebrew religion looks upon Moses or. Uh, Abraham as having any divine qualities. I mean, they were both men, but only they were human beings and, and they were not uh, had any divine nature. Likewise, in, is, in Islam, okay, they regard Muhammad as the prophet, but he never claimed to be divine and uh, neither he nor Abraham nor Moses said they would die and on the third day rise and then do that. Jesus is the only one who predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, and then accomplished it. And Jesus is the only one who is the fullness of revelation of, of God because he's God and man. So uh, now in Islam, they don't they don't believe that. OK. And in the Jewish tradition, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, OK. We respect the fact that, you know, they they don't uh, agree with us on that. But we it's more than us just having an opinion is that, you know, we truly believe that this is true. Okay, this is more than just an opinion on our part. And there, again, we have to show people that Christianity, especially Catholic Christianity, is credible. You're not going to win anybody over with just arguments of reason, but we can show that our faith is reasonable. And that's why we do get people who consider coming into full communion. I had a Muslim fellow who became Catholic. He read the catechism all by himself, and that's what led him to come to our RCI classes. And then at the end of the uh, you know, at the Easter Vigil, became uh, baptized and received uh, confirmation of Holy Communion. But, uh, you know, he was open to looking into uh, the fullness of truth. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. 
You know, every day at high noon Eastern time, Jerry Usher and Debbie Giorgiani take to the airwaves on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie, where they invite you to take a second look at life through the lens of the Catholic Church. Um, today's topic was in the news, and it was so popular, and they had so many people on the line at the end of the program that they have opted for a part two tomorrow of In the News. So take two with Jerry and Debbie, In the News Part Two, tomorrow at noon Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Tony in Dallas, Texas, watching us on YouTube. Tony, you're on with Father John. Hey, Father John, how you doing? Fine. Okay, I have a, I have a kind of a, 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 a complex question, I guess. Uh, my, I have three small children, and they're about to do their first communion. They're nine, ten, and eleven. And uh, my question is, why is there a two-year waiting period for Holy Communion? And secondly, uh, my local parish priest is going to do it within months, and I'm hoping that's okay. So I'm kind of afraid to ask the question. Um, is that all right? Oh yes. I mean, um, when First Communion is administered, uh, is determined by um, the local parish, but also the local bishop in that diocese and the the, uh, Episcopal Conference of the country that you live in. Um, In the Latin tradition, you know, we have the practice of of giving Holy Communion to kids once they reach the age of reason, which is seven and above. Uh, In the Eastern Rite, um, which includes the Byzantine, but all the other Eastern uh, rites in the Catholic Church, they receive communion and confirmation on the same day that they're baptized. We space it out. Now, why some places, some parishes require a two-year period, it's because they want to have an adequate time of catechesis so that the kids understand the difference between consecrated bread that's now the real presence, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, and just normal bread that you eat at the table, and what is supernatural. Now, we're not going to ask them to give us the elaborate definition of what transubstantiation is, but that was a word I learned in first grade in preparation for uh, Holy Communion. Now, if the kids are receiving um, good catechesis because they either go to Catholic school or they're getting good CCD, then by them going their first year to in religious instruction in first grade, and then they go in second grade, that usually suffices for that two-year preparation. What happens, though, sometimes is People move around because they're in the military or they have different jobs and the kids don't get enough catechesis. So that's why they might say, well, even though they're in second grade uh, or they haven't received their communion and they're eight, nine or ten, they still might want two year period. But that's not in stone. That could always be uh, adapted. So always, you know, you could ask the pastor or if the diet, you could ask the diocese. But I see value in the fact that you want adequate preparation so they understand what they're doing. But you as a parent have always have the right to ask uh, people, you know, the priest should not be, you know, offended or insulted or get defensive that you ask. It's just how you ask, you know, if you say, Father, can you explain to me why there's a two year preparation period? I, as a pastor would love to answer things like that. But if some pressure came in, Hey, what's going on here? Why do we have wait two years? Why can't we do it tomorrow? You know, that's like a couple that wants to get married. Most dioceses make you wait nine months uh, or longer uh, to get married because we don't want someone doing it too too rashly. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Joey is in Des Moines, Iowa, listening on Iowa Catholic Radio. Joey, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hi, Father. My question is, prior to Jesus coming, could Gentiles go to heaven? No. But nobody could go to heaven, okay? Not even Jews, Hebrews. Nobody could go to heaven until the Messiah, the Savior, came and saved the human race. So even from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses to even St. Joseph, okay? We believe St. Joseph died before Jesus died on the cross. So not even St. Joseph could go to heaven after he died. Everybody had to wait until the human race was saved by the Savior. Does that help, Joey? Yeah, but so could, after Jesus came, could Gentiles then enter heaven? Because they were, like, unclean. They were unclean under the old dispensation, okay, under the old covenant. Uh, Under the new covenant, uh, because Jesus came to save everyone, then Gentiles who were, would be baptized, who became Christian, uh, because remember there was a distinction in the early church between the Jews who became Christian, the Jewish Christians, and then you had the Gentile or Greek Christians, and they both coexisted. And then when the temple of Jerusalem was uh, burned by the Romans in 70 AD, the Jewish religious leaders kicked Christianity out of Judaism, so they became separate. You had more and more Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, and so forth uh, becoming Christian and lesser uh, Jewish converts. 833-288. EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five. Kyle is in Lancaster, Ohio, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. Kyle, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Uh, I have a question, comment, kind of. Um, I hear on Catholic Radio that Catholics are not forced to marry. Um, I, I have a degree in theology, and when I was getting my degree, I learned the proper definition of worship is to give one their due, which for Mary is hyperdulia. So, in fact, we do worship Mary, but is it is it proper now to use that uh, official definition of worship, or because it's been so... That uh, worship is now, uh, what's the word, like equal with latria, that we don't use the word worship now for dulia and hyperdulia. Well, I have to say, um, um, in the 20 years of my Catholic education, and I was in the seminary since high school, all the professors I had always meticulously made a distinction between latria and dulia and never, ever um, equated them that Um, Latria was worship and adoration, which is due to God alone following the first commandment. And Dulia, whether it's the veneration or honor given to the saints 
or hyperdulia, which is the highest honor given to the Virgin Mary, but they were always distinct and separate, uh, that uh, they were similar in the, in the sense that, you know, you were all, because always we're, we're supposed to honor God, but we go more than honor. We are to adore and worship God. So I've never, I have to honestly say, I've never heard or read anywhere where uh, Mary, devotion to Mary or to the saints was ever considered on the same level as worship of God. That's why in English, we always say we don't worship Mary, but even in the Latin, we always refer to the distinction between dulia and latria, that they're in the same ballpark, but uh, latria is, is the highest level. It's worship and adoration, which only goes to divinity, and then dulia and hyperdulia, which is merely veneration and honor, and that goes to Mary and the saints only. So I've never had that. I've never seen that. So uh, if, if that's what they mentioned when you were studying for your degree, then uh, I think they were you know, not accurate. And very quickly, we'll head to Kathy in Cleveland, Ohio, listening on The Rock. Kathy, just about a minute left with Father John. What's your question today? Uh, Father, uh, thank you. I want to know what they mean in the glory be to the Father when, the, when they say, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. I didn't think God had a beginning. Can you explain why they say that? Oh, yes. It has nothing, it's not in reference to God, but it's in reference to creation. Because creation is adoring and, and, and praising God. So when we say glory be to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as it, as it was in the beginning. So the it is the created reality because God started it so that it had a beginning and then it has an end. But God himself has no beginning. Right? He's eternal. So it's the it that it's referring to. And finally today, Father, Stan in the Republic of Texas wants to know, what about Enoch? Didn't he go to heaven before Jesus' time? <laughs> Uh, Enoch and Elijah went up to the sky somewhere, but they could not go to heaven because they were not yet redeemed. Now, where did their physical bodies go? We don't know. Could have went to another dimension. It could have went to another planet. It could have gone anywhere on a cloud. But there's no way a human being could have gone into heaven before the human race was redeemed by Jesus Christ. Father John, thanks for being so gracious with your time. Would you leave us with a blessing? Certainly. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. Father Mitch is in the house on Wednesday. Father Brian Milady on Thursday, and we'll wrap things up Friday with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until we join Father Wade tomorrow, God bless.